I feel like I've been saying this every week, but a whole lot to talk about here on the OHL podcast. This season is giving us plenty of meat on the bone as we dive right into another episode. Dan Mahar over there. My name is Mike Farwell. Find Dan on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. I'm at Farwell underscore OHL. A couple of big name players, Dan, import players, being returned to their Ontario Hockey League clubs. And it's great news for both teams, frankly. One is arguably the biggest surprise so far of this season. And the other, and this is where we'll start, is a team that I think needs it, needs it so badly this year. So let's start in the Nickel City where Dalibor Dvorsky gets sent to the Sudbury Wolves to continue his development in North America. He had been in Sweden. He's a first rounder, 10th overall to the St. Louis Blues. And he comes to a Sudbury team that, again, I will just start with saying needs it. The Nickel City, the Sudbury Wolves deserve this, don't they? Oh, for sure. Uh, what a huge boost for them. And I know Dalibor Dvorsky was a little bit of uh, an interesting prospect in, in his draft year last year where I know some scouts that for much of the year had him top five, especially after the World Juniors. They they saw a lot in him. The question was the offensive upside uh, didn't pan out for him in the SHL so far this year. So obviously you want him playing big minutes at, at his age. So what a huge boost is going to be for Sudbury. And the first thing he's going to learn in the OHL is the slew putting rule. <laughs> <laughs> he did score in his first game and this is something again where i talk about the sudbury wolves needing this look they've had what is it four of the first overall picks in seven years like not just high first round picks but first overall having won the lottery all these different things so and and unfortunately or maybe through you know poor management I don't know it just hasn't worked out I don't know that I'd put it on poor management things just haven't worked out in Sudbury and this is a city that is a proud city as you get into northern Ontario it's a proud franchise it's got a lot of history behind it you can you know you can look at the names that have gone through there and you know Hunter being one Felino being another that former coach in Toronto whose name is escaping me for a moment also from up there. Help me out here, Dan. I know you, you know who it is. The former coach in Toronto? Yeah, Leafs. Come on. Oh, you're talking uh, Randy Carlisle? Thank you, Carlisle. Yes. And so anyway, we could go on and on, but lots of history up there. And, and this is a team that just that the closest taste it had is when one of those former players, Mike Felino, was behind the bench, 2007. And it was like a Cinderella run for that Sudbury Wolves team. They went to 13 overtimes in that playoff. 13 overtimes, four of them in their six-game East final against Belleville. Matt Diaz scores the winner in triple overtime to send Sudbury to the OHL final versus Plymouth, where they go to another three overtimes in that series. They end up losing game six to Plymouth in overtime. But that was this that was the year that ignited the city again, got everybody excited, and they haven't had a sniff since. So as I say, this is a we talked about Sudbury when we did our Eastern Conference preview, and both of us liked them hesitantly because 
there's 50 years of history that tells us that you're not supposed to like the Sudbury Wolves ever. I mean, you can like them. You just can't like them to win. Uh, they've got the pieces in place, right? They've got their Goyettes. They've got their Musties. Now they've got Dvorsky. The stars are aligning with, you know, other than arguably Mississauga, nobody stepping up despite how early it is to take control of this Eastern conference. It is a wide open field. I think for the Sudbury wolves, Dvorsky gets sent to them. You, you got to do it. Yeah. I'm just telling, I, I don't want to put added pressure on them, but Sudbury's got to do it this year. The stars are aligning for them. Yeah. And I, you know, as you know, I picked them to win the East and, and this is shaping up to be their year. And I think with every team in the league, there's, there's these question marks, will they, won't they? And Sudbury, you talked about some of the disappointments of the past, lots in the back of your mind. Is this a team that can get over the hump? And I think one of the things they shored up their defense early with the, with a couple of trades, we know they've got some stellar goaltending and that elite top line. You, you already mentioned Goyette and Musty. And of course, even coach Adelic in there, you want to have some, backing towards that some elite backing i think most championship teams though have a top six that's pretty scary on paper and when you throw in a dalibor Dvorsky, suddenly you're serious now so on paper it's there uh now it's just a question of do they execute and they've got of course the history even behind the bench with ken mckenzie affectionately known in those parts as k mac uh listen again i'll just say stars aligned and I've got a soft spot. I've always enjoyed the trips up there. I love the old barn. It was built in the same year as the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. I would argue that the odd in Kitchener has aged a little bit better, but nonetheless, it just makes me feel like I'm kind of still close to home when I'm up there in Sudbury, because of course, home for me being in Kitchener. I, I wish them the best. And again, uh, not to add the extra pressure, but everything seems to be falling in place early for the Sudbury Wolves to really make noise in that Eastern Conference this year. Quickly on that, because I did mention Mississauga, and I alluded at the very beginning of this, we're gonna talk about the team that is arguably the most surprising early in the season. But the other argument you might make is the first place Mississauga Steelheads, maybe a year ahead of what people would have projected based on the age group of that team, but holy moly, and what are you gonna say about Ryerson Leanders and goal again? Yeah, I mean, when's the last time the Mississauga Steelheads did not have top-tier goaltending and bordering on elite, and what Leanders is doing so far this year is just incredible. But yeah, I think I think that was our sentiment, Mike. Uh, you know I love the Mississauga Steelheads. I, I predict them to come fairly high in the conference this year. Having said that, I think we both shared the sentiment that maybe a year young on their, on their maturation curve and, and might need another year. But early returns are there right there, and... Do they add now, given how much talent they've got there? Because you never know. I mean, you don't necessarily build around 17 and 18-year-olds for a championship, but if they're that good, they might not be there at 19 or 20. So uh, it'll, it'll be some interesting decisions as they go. All right. Uh, Mississauga Steelheads will factor into a talking point on this episode of the OHL podcast a little bit later. So hang around for that. The team, though, that I was alluding to, Dan, when I said arguably the most surprising team early this season, 10 games in. And I can tell you right off, I've even talked directly to the head coach about this. And he told me, Talk to me when we're 20 games in. In other words, I don't want to hear your happy crappy farewell. We'll talk at 20 games into the season and then have a better sense of things. But, and we started with Sudbury in this episode deliberately because everybody knows who listens to this podcast and thank you for listening to it. Dan and I are based in Kitchener. I have the good fortune through my work as a broadcaster in the OHL to go to every market 
Dan is pinned at the odd for most of the season and sees every other team come through his home base. We try very hard not to be biased towards Kitchener or, you know, drive home the fact that we are Kitchener based. But the reality is when you're looking at a surprising team to start this season, as much as you think that the Mississauga Steelheads may be playing a year ahead of projections, the Kitchener Rangers at a seven and three record through 10 games might be playing two years ahead of their projections right now. Well, yeah. And of course you see Hocus is not uh, wrong when he says, give it time. Cause we're, we don't expect that this is sustainable. The goal scoring pace they're on five and a half goals per game type rate, a younger team, other teams will adapt. We know the veteran teams tend to pick it up in the second half. So it's not going to be all sun, sunshine and roses for the Kitchener Rangers this year. Having said that, I think it's worth speaking about at this point, Mike, because you you know me, I'm a coaching junkie. I, I That's that's why I love the games, to watch and look at the little details and what's going on. And, I, and I'm just going to call it exactly what it is. There were so many frustration points uh, for me last year with this team in terms of little things they weren't doing well, puck support, effort, the back check, all these kinds of things were, were off kilter last year. And one by one, each and every one of them has improved so much this year under, under UC Hocus and his staff, where uh, I, I look at little things like with the length of training camp, I like to see little technical details improve and the body position that the players establish now and how they use their sticks properly. And, and they understand now that offense comes from the back check and taking away those lanes and turning it up ice. Second, the pucks turned up ice. You watch that whole wave of five players come up for puck support. Uh, it's just Phenomenal to watch right now. And I know uh, they will hit some road bumps. They will have some things uh, not go their way, but boy, does it ever uh, make it make for make for entertaining hockey. When you see a team playing that well, playing that way, playing smart, aggressive hockey. And you know what, when teams play that way and lose, you can accept it because they're playing well, they're playing smart, they're playing entertaining. Uh, You hate seeing them lose because they're not doing those right things or the efforts lagging. So uh, kudos to him and his staff for the turnaround they've achieved so far. Yeah, it is a highly entertaining brand of hockey. Uh, the team with the most goals in the Ontario Hockey League coming into the weekend that we're just wrapping up here. Three of the top seven scorers, four, pardon me, of the top seven scorers in the OHL were Kitchener Rangers. I mean, again, nobody hangs a banner for 10 games into the season, but based on what was expected, based on the way, and I think this factors in a lot, Dan, the way last year's Kitchener Rangers team performed well below expectations. Uh, I think fans in Kitchener have every right to be giddy. And I think that other teams around the league are taking notice of a much different Rangers team when they face them. I'll, I'll take it from a slightly, you know, you've looked at some of the nuts and bolts here. And for me, maybe it's a slightly higher level uh, perspective of this. But what I've been looking at is I, I'm just asking myself this question. Was it the perfect time for the major overhaul that this team had. And I'm not, clearly it wasn't by design. They had Chris Dennis, the previous coach, signed to a three-year contract, all things being equal. He would have been here with this group this year. We know that changed. And now there's UC Ahokas as the new head coach. And he brought in two new assistants and Brad Flynn, who's coached in both the dub and the queue and Jeff Kurzakis. Here come the Mississauga Steelheads again, where he spent seven years with that organization. It's a completely new coaching staff. And, and these guys come in here with essentially zero understanding of the way things were. The Rangers graduated so many players out of this organization and then brought in 
a crop of young talent, two first rounders, the second and the third, all of them signed to play this year. And these are young men that played for a U16 team a season ago that was a highly competitive team, a successful team. They were highly competitive and highly successful players. They don't know any different. They get to the O, they recognize that, yes, this is a different league, et cetera. Things might happen a little more quickly. Some of the players, you know, at the overage, 19, 20 years older, bigger and stronger, blah, blah, blah. I could tell you all these things you already know. But these players are just out there going, well, I mean, we don't know any different than this. This is the way it went for us last year with our team. We're just going to come in and respond to the coach. And here here we are. I, I've even been asking people around the organization, put your finger on this. What's different? And I just look at it and say, you know what? So many new faces from coaching right through the lineup that nobody knows any different. And whatever this coaching staff is selling, the players are absolutely buying it's early on you can you can sense that it's a tight group and it is it's a lot of fun to watch this team play hockey right now yeah well said mike and i think good on you for mentioning krizakis and flynn as well it's a whole staff thing and you talk about bringing in a whole new culture whole new philosophy no ghosts of the past that that's part of it but to me the the finger i put on everything all the time is just plain and simple it's competence you can tell a highly competent staff when the players are all engaged, they're all buying in, they're all improving. Uh, all those little red flags and signs you see around a team, you think, well, you know, if a coach has time, you should be able to change these things. And when these things aren't changing, that's when you have to put the antenna up. And and just the, the early returns from this staff so far are just tremendous. And you've probably been asked as much as I have, Mike, saying, well, I don't know, does, does Kitchener go for it this year? And I, I, I think the bottom line is no, it's an interesting dynamic because they had to lure in a, a Hocus from Finland. They brought in Krizakis from Mississauga and Flynn. So what they're trying to do is lure these guys in with the knowledge that this team is probably going to lose a lot of games this year. They're a younger team. They're a rebuilding team. They're probably going to make some trades. And these guys came in and said, so what? We're going to establish a new culture. We're going to build a winner from the ground up. So they were all on board with that. And I think when you have that level of competence and success, this is how you turn a team into a successful franchise year over year, like the Londons we talk about all the time, because now they're increasing the asset values. So when you do have to make a couple of difficult decisions, those pairs have to be moved, you get more for them. And then your cupboard's more uh, stocked for the next time you need to make runs. So all these things play into success. And if you don't have them, it goes the other way. So anyway, just really, really uh, positive early returns on this staff for sure. All right. So we talked about Dvorsky in Sudbury coming over from Europe. Well, this was another import player, played for the Rangers last year, thought for sure if nothing else he'd be with Laval in the American Hockey League this year but the Montreal Canadiens have sent Philip Machar back to the Ontario Hockey League so we are going to be and Machar of course is a Kitchener Rangers uh, is Kitchener Rangers property just a reminder this is not a Kitchener Rangers podcast I will shamelessly promote to you there is a post game show that happens after Kitchener Rangers home games that now gets podcasted it's called Rangers Talk look it up anywhere you can get all Rangers all the time but this is another important talking point in the league because it's not every day that much like Dvorsky is a first rounder to St. Louis. Uh, Machar was a first rounder to Montreal the year prior played a year in the Ontario hockey league with the Rangers uh, 54, 51 points in 54 games he had. And now unable to crack the big club, if you will, in the American hockey league or the national hockey league, he's back by all accounts, Dan, the attitude is, Hey, 
I'm going to go wherever the parent club, the Montreal Canadiens, tell me to go. I'm going to do what they ask of me. And what they seem to be asking of Philip Machar is go back to junior and dominate. Yeah. And I, I, I think some of that maturation and that attitude change had to come from seeing it himself. And we know things didn't go that well in Kitchener last year. And it really hurt the organization's reputation globally, really. And especially with the NHL team, do we send him back? Is he going to get stunted in his growth? So I think a lot of a lot of things happen behind the scenes on these decisions, Mike. And I think what happened over the last few weeks was Montreal did a lot of legwork and research on what's going on in Kitchener right now. We know they had staff down here looking at the, the coaching staff and, and speaking to a few people, if you will. So they're wanting to make sure this is the right environment for Massar. So it's a really good sign for the OHL and the franchise that he was sent back here. But just for Massar himself, I think no better example than internally there. You, the AHL is a really good league, a really tough league for a 19-year-old to play in, especially an undersized one who has a lot to work on in his game. And he needs to look no further than teammate Joshua Wah, who we all know from Team Canada, the World Juniors last year, who is playing in Laval this year, a year older than Massar, uh, currently leading the AHL in scoring, who was perfectly happy going back to the Quebec Major Junior League last year at 19 years old, dominating there, doing what the franchise told him, developing that skill set, and now look where he's going. So it's easy for Massar to look like a stall or two down the dressing room and say, all right, you know, junior hockey is okay for this guy. It's probably not a bad idea for me at 19 either. So sometimes it's just experience, intel, a little humility. All these things get you to the right spot. And I believe the that junior hockey is the right spot for Philip Massar still. So tying into what you talked about a moment ago and increasing the value of your assets so that when you do move them, you can restock the cupboards, which is something the Kitchener Rangers are probably very interested in doing. They sent a lot of draft picks out the door over the last number of years in an attempt to make runs. COVID, I was just talking about this the other day, that 2020 year when Jacob Ingham was the Kitchener Rangers goaltender, boy, oh boy, may have scuttled. I mean, you never know with a goaltender like that because the kid was playing lights out, but that's history. But then, of course, the whole entire next season was a lost season, and that would have been a season where the Rangers, like other teams, would have been moving assets to start to recover. So I'm just putting this out there because it's still an impact, not just on Kitchener, but on other teams, which maybe leaves the cupboards even more bare. But let me take you back for a minute to the podcast I mentioned a moment ago called Rangers Talk, which is done through my employer, City News 570 and Rogers Media. But And, and you can listen to it for all the Rangers stuff. But we got a call on on that post game show which gets podcasted uh the night the friday night the day before philip Machar got returned to the rangers and the caller asked what do you do and my first thought dan was well you move him right away because why are you going to mess with the chemistry that seems to be going so well with this current Kitchener Rangers lineup. And if you're inserting a player like Mashar, all of a sudden you've got number one power play time, top line minutes, you're going to, you're going to stunt the development of some of these kids that are already showing you that they're, you know, responding well to what you're giving them. The more I thought about it over the weekend and, and here we are today, the more I'm glad I'm not the general manager in all of this. And and your point is well taken about restocking those cupboards, but I don't know if you draft well, and this Rangers team has already got some nice young players, maybe you can just keep building on what you've got and be that perennial contender you talk about. In other words, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. I don't know that the fire sale should happen in Kitchener this year. 
Yeah, I'm, I don't know that I'd term it a fire sale anyway. I think uh, I think with a guy like Mashar, obviously he stays for a while because I think based on what teams saw last year, they're going to want to see what they have this year before they offer up too much. So it makes sense for everyone involved, especially with how difficult it is to trade in for players with the limited number of slots. I, I think he Mashar stays for a while, if not the whole season. And I don't think fire sale is the right word. I think that GM Mike McKenzie clearly is going to want to recoup some of those second and third round picks that he moved out uh, just to build for a potential Memorial Cup bid in 2027. Those are some key holes to plug and you get them in those rounds. So you might be talking a player or two and I don't want to trade any kids on this podcast. And it's there's certainly not kids I, I'd want to see go or that you want to have leave your dressing room. But I think there's a couple kids in that on that team who are in their last year of junior and who are going to fetch a fairly nice price. There's some proven playoff performers there. Um, so I'm talking one or two bodies moving out for sure. I don't think fire sales, the right word, but I'd be shocked if they don't Mike. Yeah. I just, it, it's such a delicate balance, right? Because this team that we've already argued granted through 10 games is playing above expectations. You don't want to rain on their parade after Christmas and then have them think, well, what have we put in all this work for and, and look at the landscape unless it turns out like, the Brantford Bulldogs when they were in Hamilton a season ago and the, uh, the so-called misfits just kept playing. I think they played better after the deadline than, than prior when all of their, uh, their stud assets were gone, but that was a little bit different too. Cause that team had just come off a championship. So anyway, I'm glad I'm not a general manager in this league or any other, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think that's what you do in, in a year like this for Kitchener. I think you, you take a couple wins on the trade market, rec- recover a few assets in the cupboard that you know, you need to do. And then you run with the enthusiasm of the rest of the kids that you've developed and progressed in some of the new assets that come in that might be a year or two younger. And you just try and do something like what Brantford did last year and get some good experience with those kids. But yeah, it's not a tough job. It's not an easy job, Mike. <laughs> All right. I've got a couple of uh, small-ish things that are on my mind, but I'm I'm feeling something a little pent up that I, I need to get out about them. So we're going to get into that we're also going to get into the mississauga steelheads again and specifically one player and whether this player's status warrants a change to the rules in the national hockey league and of course our prospects of the week so all of that is still we've barely just begun i know we talked a lot about the rangers but what a story they are so far uh in this in in this ohl season stay with us we continue on the ohl podcast Okay, Dan, one of the other things early in the season that people might be looking at is the Saginaw spirit. And not to add even more pressure on them, because I started this season by talking about them lining up as a possible, probable 50-win team, but they've been very average out of the gates. I'm gonna I'm gonna submit to you something that I think is completely underappreciated and overlooked in this league. And I think I might have brought it up in the summer when we had one of our pop-up podcasts, because as somebody who works in the league, when the schedule comes out in June, I check it immediately because I want to know what my family life is going to look like from September through April. And I always like to check in on some of my favorite trips. I love going East and these other things. How many three and threes does the team have? Blah, 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 blah. And when I looked at the Rangers schedule this year, I thought, boy, this is a much better schedule for Kitchener than I have seen in 
quite some time. There were seasons not too long ago. I remember starting with a game on a Friday night, typical in Kitchener, and then no games on Saturday and Sunday that first weekend. And then the next week we went to North Bay and Sudbury Thursday, Friday. So you, you've taken a long trip. You've played one home game and two weeks into the season, you've only got three games under your skates. And especially when the season is starting, I'm thinking to myself, you, like it, there's so much anticipation, even as a broadcaster. And then you play one game and you're sitting around watching the scoreboard all weekend. I, I personally hated it. And I couldn't imagine how the, the teams or the players felt about it. So I saw the Rangers schedule this year and I thought, five games in the first eight days. Good. Like get out of the gates, start playing hockey right away. And last year is another example where I remember getting to Christmas and looking at the schedule thinking, boy, the Rangers have only played 28 games. That means from late December until mid ish March, we've got 40 games still to play. And again, I'm thinking of my family life more than anything, but then I did the math and it was 40 games over the 83 remaining days in the season that's not when you want to be playing your most hockey when guys are starting to get worn down right to me it was a recipe for disaster so all of this is to say i looked at the ranger schedule i saw basically an even number of games 10 11 maybe 13 like we have in november but even through every month the saginaw spirit started the season this way i got it written down here they played friday saturday week number one then they were off until the following friday that's the only game they played on the second weekend of the season. Then they played a midweek Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. They were off again for an entire week, just this weekend playing Saturday, Sunday. I'll tell you what, that is not a recipe for galloping out of the gates in your Memorial Cup season. You're the host. I guarantee you in the front offices at the Dow Event Center, they are chafing at the way this schedule has bit them in the ass. That's just my personal take. I know a lot goes into this. There's negotiating, there's arena availability, this, that, and the other thing. I'm just here to tell you that the Saginaw spirit got the short end of the scheduling stick to start this season. That schedule sucks. Yeah, and you know, I know there's kind of two schools of thought on how those seasons start, Mike, and uh, you'll have coaches that tell you they want lots of gaps at this first part of the year so they can practice a lot, build systems, do those kind of things. Then there's a lot of coaches say, no, we want momentum. We want to get into it. We don't want to have a heavy schedule down the stretch. I, I am one of the key words in my life, Mike, that I love is balance. Let's, let's balance this thing. Don't front load the schedule. Don't back load the schedule. Let's spread it out. Give every team an equal shot. You, you also have to take into account that fans are paying money to see these games too. And you want to have the best quality of product. So the best quality of product does not come after substantial layoffs or after tightly packed games. They, you get the best product when teams play every two or three days kind of thing and keep it going. So yeah, I, I don't really understand these schedule quirks. It would drive me nuts early in the season, Mike, not playing a whole lot. Uh, the only time I'd like to see any teams get any kind of a, a little bit of a layoff is around Christmas when the world juniors are going on. Some teams are short players, let them catch their breath again and go. But otherwise let's, let's spread it out a little here because you don't want them crushed going into the playoffs either having played 40 games in 60 nights or something silly. Yeah. And, I mean, in all honesty, like we, we just broke down, what is it? Eight games over four weeks. I guess it does work out to two games a week, but I, I don't understand the weekends where you play a Friday game. I know you have the midweek Wednesday, the following week, but it, to me, it just defies logic and to your word balance to not have at least two games every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two of those three nights, I would think you, you should be, or would want to be playing. 
Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, everyone's different. Like I know when, for me personally, I, 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 didn't love the day games nearly as much as the night games was just something different with the adrenaline in your body and whatnot. But putting a day game after the night game was even more challenging because, you know, if you, you leave it all on the ice, like the coaches want you to on Saturday night, God forbid you played Friday as well. You're not going to have a whole lot for 2 PM on a Sunday, especially if there was a bus trip in there. So yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of factors that influence people and everyone's different. There might be guys that say, Oh, I like playing during the day. There's, there's more kids in the stands. It's more uh, for whatever reasons, but uh, I, that's why I always keep coming back to that balance thing. Just, just spread it a little. I think you'll see an, an improvement in the quality of product, which is key. And I think uh, the teams and coaches will, will like it more too, because they get a little bit more time to prep for each game, recoup the muscles, et cetera, et cetera. You don't, and the longer stretches are just as bad. We've seen it in the uh, baseball playoffs this year where the teams that had that bye week all got early exits. So uh, long stretches off, long stretches on, neither one is good. I had to chuckle when you mentioned Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. games. Talk to Brian Kilray about that. He loved his 2 o'clock games on Sunday afternoons in Ottawa. And I've heard over the years a number of teams that were basically begging because back when Belleville was in the league, they liked their Saturday nights. So what we refer to as the Eastern swing coming from the Western side usually went Kingston on Friday, Belleville on Saturday, then into Ottawa on Sunday afternoon. And they would beg, come on, killer, give us an evening game. At least we're coming in after playing two and two. No, no, our fans, they love the, they love the Sunday afternoons. And then, well, yeah, of course, because you get a a much more tired team and it's a, a little bit easier on your path to two points. And I remember too, some, pitching and moaning in uh, in Owen Sound from people around the attack, not necessarily uh, front office staff or anything, but, you know, fans and others would bitch that, you know, the Owen Sound attack would be on the road Friday night and have to come home and play a Saturday night home game after traveling. I'm like, well, yeah, but but your organization likes the Saturday night games. They want the Saturday home date. Like, what the heck else do you think is going to happen on a weekend league? Anyway, all of these things factor in, but I just thought that uh, – what a, for me, I, I would not like the schedule at all if I'm the Saginaw Spirit. It's it's not enough hockey as the season begins when I'm sure you just you just want to be out there playing, not sitting on the bench or sitting on a bus or waiting for the next game, something like that. Okay, let's talk about Porter Martone. And I've got to give credit to uh, my buddy, the great Pete Dalladay up in Peterborough for raising my antennae about this one because I was pumping Porter's tires as I like to do. We both are huge fans of his game, Dan, and you, you brought it up at the beginning of the season, like what a treat we're going to have with so many good players in the league this year, including a guy like Martone, who's not even draft eligible until 2025. And this is the thing. So Martone scores a hat trick in Mississauga's come from behind win up in North Bay late last week. So that's, what I'm doing online, pumping Martone's tires. And Pete Dalladay says, you know, because I pointed out, he's not even draft eligible, Martone, until next June, 2025. And Dalladay said, maybe it's time for the NHL to take a look at its late birthday rule. And you know what? Pete Dalladay has got a point. If you are, if you're in next June, 2024's draft, you are, you turn 18 before September the 15th of this year. Porter Martone did not do that. In fact, Porter Martone turns 18 this week. Happy birthday, Porter. But that means because of the quote-unquote late birthday, he doesn't go into the 2024 draft. Instead, he goes in 
to the 2025 draft. Shouldn't we just let the kid declare? I mean, we're talking four weeks here. Yeah, and there's going to be a cutoff no matter what. It's going to be an arbitrary cutoff somewhat. My thing is, why not just go like everyone else does and go by the calendar birth year? It would make so much more sense. It's their school cohort. It's their hockey cohort all the way up till that NHL draft. It It's way easier for everyone to get keep track of. You know how many times a year, Mike, I have someone ask me that question. Why? I don't understand. Why isn't he eligible? He's he's an 04. He's an 05. Um, so, yeah, I... I I would love to see the NHL just align with calendar year for one. Um, but you raise an interesting point about this, almost this elite player status. When you talk about kids like Porter Martone, where, you know, maybe if they're a late birthday, sure. If, if you're going to have that September cutoff, fine. But do you let a kid who's born from that birth year, but a late birthday declare to say, you know, I want to be in this draft. Cause you know, it's not just Porter Martone. You're looking at Malcolm Spence as well. There's a few others who, look like they're ready to be to have their draft year Mike but the birthday just fell a few ticks too late so they're gonna have to wait till 2025 and it seems a little bit arbitrary and silly I'd love to just see them go with the calendar calendar year yeah it just makes too much sense doesn't it go with the calendar year and you know you've got two years of major junior under your skates then it's time for the draft this is a a signal too and I'm I'm sure the scouts are plenty savvy or the organizations are plenty savvy but when Porter Martone is technically in his draft year next year, and he's putting up ridiculous numbers. Just remember, it's a almost 19-year-old third year in the league. He should be putting up more ridiculous numbers. So just make sure you're paying attention to his production this year, too, when you're comparing it against the other 18-year-olds, in air quotes, uh, next season when the draft rolls around. Yeah, excellent point, Mike. And just look no further than Alex Lafreniere, who's had some blips in the in the NHL so far, where he was a late birthday, so he was a 19 year old when he was drafted. Do you how do you factor that in when, yeah, his numbers were great, but technically it was his third year in junior, and and you saw it last year with Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson ended up going second, and people questioned that. But part of I know part of the thinking with the Anaheim Ducks was well, yeah, but Adam Fantilli was almost a year older and. So there were factors that came into play there just an extra year because the hockey year goes by a calendar year. Even if you're a few months behind, you've still played an extra year of hockey at those levels. So it's something to consider when you're uh, evaluating those players for sure, Mike. And you look at Porter Martone when in his draft year is basically going to have a year on all those other kids. All right. Before we get to our prospects of the week, there's one more thing that that occurred to me over the past week uh, from a couple of buildings I actually had the privilege of visiting over my time. And it, I, I just, I, I need to get this out there because it, it's kind of been eating away at me. So uh, we were in St. Catharines for an Ice Dogs Rangers game uh, a week ago, Wednesday. And the time we had been there previous was in February of 2023. So towards the end of last season. Now we all know how last season went for the Ice Dogs, right? 12 wins, not a great start under Darren Dobler. That's before any of the other stuff came out, but it was not a good year. And we were in there on a Saturday and Dan, the place was jam-packed. There was 4,000 plus in there. The atmosphere was great. And I was quite frankly surprised because that's a, that's a hell of a crowd for a team that was like light years away from the playoffs. And it just goes to show how, how much passion there is for junior hockey in the market and how, how much fun the building is when it's full, et cetera. Needless to say, when we went last week, it was the exact opposite. And again, you can understand that. It was a rough year last year. 
things didn't get any better with some troubles off the ice. This team's not off to a great start this year. And, you know, I was going to put a picture on social media, but I didn't want to, you know, shame anybody. And now here I am just talking about it on the podcast. Look, it's, it's, it's nobody's fault per se. I just want to point out when I saw that crowd compared to what I had seen late last season, it was, it was a stark contrast. And it goes to show that if you don't treat your fans well, then this is what you're going to get. And and this city has shown that it's got a real interest in an appetite for junior hockey. So I'll just put that out there for anybody listening in St. Catharines. I think you have sent your fans in the wrong direction. You've sent them away. And that's not what you wanted. There's a lot of passion there. There's a lot of history there. And you got a great barn. Oh my gosh, is the Meridian Center a great place for a game? Hopefully they can find a way to start filling it back up. And then compare that to the other building I got to see. And I know this is beating the dead horse, but I want to come at it from a different direction. The other building I saw, of course, was Paramount Fine Food Center in Mississauga, which, again, is it's a great building for junior hockey. It's got everything you want for a junior hockey game. It's in the greater Toronto area, and it has free parking, F-R-E-E free, and tons of it. It's also got a very good hockey team. We talked about Jeff Kurzakis earlier, who had spent seven years with that Steelheads organization. In that seven years, he was part of a Steelheads organization that won a division title, won a conference title, so they competed in an OHL championship. And Mississauga has sent the third most players to the National Hockey League of all 60 teams in the entire CHL. So if you went to a Mississauga game it's very likely that you saw a player that played in the National Hockey League a season or two or three later. You might have gone to the Scotiabank Arena against the Leafs and saw one of these Mississauga players that you could have saw, uh, could have seen for a song at the Paramount Fine Food Center. Oftentimes when we talk about Mississauga or the other now departed GTA teams, we say, yeah, the league made a mistake. There's no market in the GTA. I'm saying this, screw you. Mississauga and Brampton and Milton and Toronto. There, there are millions of people. And you're telling me you can't find 4,000 to go out and watch a really good entertainment product in a really nice building with free parking. Screw you, Mississauga, Brampton, Milton. I don't know what is wrong with people there, but they're missing out. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to, but I, this was really bugging me. Great atmosphere, great venue. Where the hell is everybody? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add to that, Mike. You know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I love that building in Mississauga. The team's been phenomenal. It's so It doesn't make any sense to me. I know people will say things, oh, Toronto's just a leaf market. It will never, as long as I live, make sense to me that people care about the NHL and nothing else. And in fact, in Toronto, care about Leafs and very little else. Um, to me, to be that invested in any hockey team, football team, baseball team, context is everything the context of who they're playing where these players come from all this kind of build up to what you're actually watching if you just watch something in isolation i'm not sure how it interests you that much and what i mean by that is like they think these players just magically appear in leaf jerseys and now we should support them wholeheartedly these players i'll tell you were playing down the road a few months ago for a lot cheaper and they were not significantly uh, lower level at that point connor mcdavid his last year in junior versus first in the NHL, a couple months apart, you were seeing pretty darn good uh, player in the OHL. And 
it's just a, a mentality thing, Mike. I don't get it. it. It's like they think of junior hockey as some sort of minor hockey. It's some little thing I don't need to pay attention to. These kids are on the doorstep of this team you worship. Uh, make it make sense to me. I don't know, Mike. Connor McDavid was playing in that OHL final versus Mississauga in 2017. Like, come on. And you, you know, like you, you go to the Paramount Fine Food Center and there are other rinks there for minor hockey. So kids are playing the game. I, oh, so like, I'm honestly now, I, I, I'm giving up on the whole, you know, the league made a mistake thing. This is on the market. And, you know, yes. I posted this on social media and some people had some really interesting comments about, you know, the way it's marketed or this or that. And I'll, I'll take them at their word. I, I don't know what they do internally, but honestly, they're doing the number one thing. As far as I'm concerned, they're putting a good product on the ice. So again, in a market that size, oh my word, it's just, it's, it's sad. I, I, I hope I really do like go tell somebody in the GTA to wake the hell up because you're missing out on a really good entertainment product. Well, Mike, you're talking about the biggest population base in the number one hockey country on the planet. And when you look at the OHL and all the Ontario-born players in the NHL, how many of them came from the GTHL or the Greater Toronto Area in general? You go watch the OHL Cup this year, the U16 AAA Championship, and see all the Toronto area teams playing there. It's a massive feeder for the best hockey you will ever see. So I do not understand it. You're right, Mike. It's on the market. Get out there and see them. Please. Great point. You know where you're going to watch the OHL Cup too, by the way? Paramount Fine Food Center. Oh. <laughs> I'm on. You're right there. You're right there. Just go back for a Steelheads game. You dumb bugger. Go back. Okay. Uh, let's get uh, It's only the, what, fourth week of the season? And man, that's that's too. I got, I'm fired up about the schedule and I'm fired up about the, the GTA uh, market. Boy, oh boy. Okay. Let's get on to prospects of the week, Dan. You go first. All right, Mike, I'm not going to stray too far off the garden path this week. And I just, I, I have to give my nod to Sam Dickinson in London. Sometimes I forget he's a, he's a prospect. When you look at him out there, I mean, defenseman putting up a point a game so far, double digits plus minus all situations, a little bit of a leaner year for the OHL this year in terms of forwards for the NHL draft, but some really phenomenal defenders and no more phenomenal than Sam Dickinson, who's going to hear his name called, I believe in the top five, if, if not towards the towards the top two or three. I, I just think he's that good. And the start has been, wasn't paying that much attention just because you expect it now. But um, my guy, Sam Dickinson, Mike, who you got? All right. Uh, I, I'm going maybe a little bit deeper into the garden here. And uh, I think it gets that much deeper below the surface still because he's only now just starting to play after being on the injured reserve at the beginning of this season, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the Brantford Bulldogs seem to be playing some better hockey. They've put together a couple of wins back to back since Luca Testa rejoined the lineup. So he's got three goals in the four games that he's played. He's got two of those goals in the past two, both wins for Brantford plus an assist in there. He's got some size, got speed he's got the hockey iq that everybody likes it's a very small sample size he's only played the four but i think a guy that's just coming off injury and jumping in the way that he has luca testa gets my nod as your prospect of the week sure yeah so one guy that was drafted by london who's no longer with them another guy that was drafted elsewhere is now with london so but two uh two high quality players there great call mike because he he was forgotten a little bit was sitting on the sidelines to start the season but uh terrific talent there 
All right. We will let you get on with the rest of your week and all of your uh, following of the Ontario Hockey League. I feel like a real dum-dum. Josh had sent us an email to ohlpodcast at rogers.com about Philip Machar. I had already responded to Josh saying we're going to be talking about it, but I should have acknowledged the email way back then. My apologies. Be like Josh. Okay. Send us an email anytime. We'll respond at... We'll respond on the on the show too. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you think. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Like, subscribe, tell a friend in the GTA to go watch some damn Mississauga Steelheads hockey and uh, give us a review as well on uh, the podcast, wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Our feature interview coming up on Friday, we're going to take a look a, a little bit away from uh, the players in the game and talk about the issues around the game. And when we were in Mississauga this past weekend, uh, there was a pink in the rink day for cancer awareness, which I love seeing teams do. Uh, This coming Friday, Dan, we're going to be talking to uh, one of the co-founders of Pride Tape. And I think we can all understand why we're going to have that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, we might have more answers than the NHL does on that one. You got to love former uh, Oshawa General Scott Lawton already stepping up saying they can find me all they want. I'm going to put that tape on my stick. So we'll talk to one of the co-founders of uh, Pride Tape on the uh, feature interview. Your next episode of the OHL podcast is out on Friday. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.